know what we should do tomorrow. Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head, couple of the little princess. We'll stagger back in. <laughs> back at the bar for shots. How's that for a slice of fried gum? Just drawn that way. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So, what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren, who is this guy? Podcasts. Why did it have to be podcasts? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast. And you guessed it, dear listener, we're going to be looking at Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's actually just Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the Indiana yeah. Jones and us. I figured that out today when I was trying to find it on IMDb. Yes, makes Where it more is difficult. this movie? Uh, as it became a franchise, we are the people who talk about movies that you will never ever study in a film studies course. They never make their way to the syllabus. And this week's film, as we've already said, is Raiders of the Lost Ark. But before we talk about that, we need to introduce ourselves across the table, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon. And don't worry, Dalton. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. <laughs> very, very good. And across the table, to my left, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart. Bangarang. Excellent. Thank you very much. Across table directly, if you would, ma'am. My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and adios, senor. Thank you very much for that. Uh, my name is Dustin Selves, and didn't any of you guys go to Sunday school? I'm just saying. Let's move Perfect. right along and talk about Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, dear listener, this is your warning. We are not a review show. We are an analysis show, which means there will be spoilerific spoiler ridge that will follow. However, we begin the show with a very short segment of our quick reviews and just what we think about the film after our synopsis. So there's an opportunity for you to listen up until that point to decide whether or not you would like to join the rest of 21st century civilization and society and see a film that you should have seen years ago. If not, go right ahead and keep on listening. But let's begin now with this small review section with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. Archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis. So let's begin with our quick reviews. Does the film work and how... And uh, how many trash cans is it worth? Or how many rolling boulders? Or how many pits full of snakes? Or how many melting faces? However you wish to rate the film. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Out of 28 rolling boulders. <laughs> Great. Done. 
<laughs> Drops the mic, walks out of the room. Of course, this is thumbs up. It's, it's fun, it's exciting, it's got everything that you could wish for out of anything ever. Uh, it Americanized James Bond later, after North by Northwest did it first. But that's beside the point. It creates a character silhouette that is almost as recognizable, if not more recognizable, thanks to that blasted hat. I'm sure there are some flaws here somewhere, but I'm not going to even bother trying to figure them out. I have to give a special mention to the cinematography and the use of shadows throughout the entire movie. It's brilliant in every sense of the word. I love Indiana Jones. I would take his class because he is a very attractive man. And fun personal note. Love you. Uh, love the you. end of our wedding uh, ceremony featured us walking out to the Raiders March. Excellent. So, it was a blast. Oh, wow. We began your adventure together. That's very, oh, very sweet. Oh, that's so cute. I like it. <laughs> Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think? Does it work or does it not? How many trash cans of boulders with melted faces is it? I work? give it uh, 15 dead Nazis out of a possible 18. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, a.k.a. Raiders, is a perfect adventure film from top to bottom. It is as good as a, any adventure film ever, really. I mean, it is it is the bar. It's that good, guys. Like, I'm not being hyperbolic at all. I like action films more than this. I probably like some adventure films more than this, personally. But just in terms of general placing the bar, this is where it should be. Because man, oh man, oh man, is this great. It's fabulous. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dulster. Miss Alexander Bohan, you were the one who picked this movie, so I'm assuming we'll hear affirmative things from you. Yes, I I rather like this movie quite a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it 45 cracking whips out of a possible 48. It's just dynamically awesome. I've been a passionate lover of this movie since... I was at least 12, as I revealed on Total Recall episode. Indiana Jones was my first crush, and Dustin and I had a conversation as we realized that our first crushes were kind of douchebags. Um, it's true. Yeah, and um, it's now that I'm older, I'm fully able to understand a lot of the intrigue about Marion, and really... It really kind of bothers me yeah. a, a lot. A little problematic. Um, probably the thing that subtracts a f the trash cans from the possible 48 is the whole Marion implied statutory rape stuff. I just can't. That, it's so hard for me to get around now that I know what it really is. Um, there, I will point out, there is some debate as to how young I was a child is. At least 16. Yeah, that's the, the most people I, say. I would say 16. Yeah, probably, um, yeah. He definitely was taking advantage yeah. of the situation. It's problematic. Very. And, um, you know, and then my maybe my other criticism is that Marion starts out as this kick-ass woman at the beginning, but then I feel like her arc of being a strong, independent female decreases entirely throughout the mm -hmm. whole film to the point where, you know, she's just wearing dresses and being kidnapped all the time. But if those are my only two points, and those subtract the trash cans from the possible 48. So just go watch it, and if that stuff doesn't bother you, you're probably fine to watch Although it. Although that stuff should bother you. It should bother you. I hope it does. <laughs> but, you know, it's still a, four, a 45 tr cracking whips film. 
Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. I also like the film very much. It is a very, very perfect adventure film, especially as far as the composition of the frames and the editing, which won an Academy Award and mm. deserved one uh, in, in, in a great many ways. There are moments in the dialogue that are a bit wonky, and we'll blame Lucas for that. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan is writing on this also, and we know he wrote Empire Strikes Back, which was mostly fairly good dialogue, and we're excited about him writing Episode 7. That's coming out very, very soon in the next year. But uh, there, So there are moments there where just the lines themselves are just kind of, yeah. But in the end, it's great. Very, very great. And I, I give it probably 47 Amerindian poison darts out of a possible 52. And so it's a film that I like very, very much, and I think everyone should take a look. But let's move on. Because, as we said, this ain't a review show. It's an analysis show. And we are going to bring some analysis to Indiana Jones. And so, Miss Bohannon... Bringer of the conversation, picker of the film, if you would, ma'am. I get to go first. This is so exciting. Lovely. Well, today I'd like to talk about something that in my adolescence I never really fully comprehended until re-watching it at our fantastic event that you should have been there, but I will forgive you if you weren't there. The event in question being our movie night at the Harkins Theater, and we're going to be having more and more of these sort of live events in the future. Watch out in October. There may be a scary movie screening that's going to happen from an independent filmmaker, so do keep your eyes peeled and keep watching the schedule. Stay tuned, definitely. I would say that I would like to discuss concept of the shadow self, it is repeated very early in this film. It is um, conveyed to Indy from Belloc himself. Beloch, um, I'll call him Belloc because that's how everyone else calls him in the film. That he is, I am a, you know, a dark image of who you really are. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. So this quote about him being just a dark image of Indy, I think that is one of the solid themes going through the entire movie, to the point where I find Indy's fear of snakes entirely symbolic. Now, what is a snake? A snake, in biblical terms, and what other way can you interpret it, considering the context of this movie, is, you know, Satan. It is someone that is whispering these dark like, inclinations to you, over and over and over again. Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. And the fact that Indy has this compulsive fear of snakes, I feel like symbolizes his fear of these whispers, of these, you know, reckonings of how easily he could slip into someone like the lost path. Considering his you know, ambiguous past and the, the darkness of his relationship with Mary, which I touched on you know, just briefly uh, moments ago, I think that there is a lot of darkness inside him. And I think that he and Balak are a lot similar than, well, at least Andy wants to admit. And I feel like that fear of snakes is highly symbolic of that, in that he is hearing all these dark whispers but he doesn't want to answer them. He's struggling with his own morality. And, you know, anytime he's trapped with these, these creatures raging war inside him about what is his moral prerogative, you know, he had a chance to blow up the Ark. 
but he didn't. He had a chance to do a lot of things, but he didn't listen to his shadow self. And I, I don't know if you've ever read anything about the kind of the play of the darkness. Like the sort of duality of yeah. yang stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, all, all the great wisdom traditions talk about this, the yin and the yang, and the and sort of trying to find the balance. They always speak to that sort of idea of, of, of wrestling with that duality. And certainly, certainly, I think we see Indy doing the same. Right. But in the case with Indiana Jones, if it's mimicking the biblical story of Adam and Eve, you know, I think that instead of Marion condemning him like Eve does with the temptation of the apple, I think she's actually perhaps maybe his moral savior in this. I mean, all a lot of his issues with, you know, he does leave her and tied up to the pole and his in Balak's tent, but how dis, in despair he was at finding out she had potentially died and that was misinformation. I feel like she kind of helps him not tread the the darker path. And maybe that's why Balak is so attracted to her. The fact that he can see also what Indy sees and he wants also a savior, but he's too he's too far along his own way to even be redeemed. I mean he his fate was set in stone as soon as he put on those ritual Hebrew garb and he wanted to unleash the power of the Ark and then melt (laughs) badly badly but um i think that this biblical allegory can really work for a lot of facets of this movie and it's really apparent considering that the main subject matter is biblical i think that it was very purposeful considering i mean why did it have to be snakes well why did it have to be snakes if i were covered in all those orange hairy tarantulas i would freak out i mean you just casually brush them off but Anyway, I think that he is trying to dodge these whispers of the shadow self, and maybe Marion is the one that can actually save him in the end. And he's wanting to make sure he gets the things and does what he needs to do without losing a soul in the process. Right. And there's sort of this, sort of this a prohibition. There's these lines that he's not allowed to cross. And he's right. trying to work that out. And I think the use of the Ark, because the Ark has got specific taboos set around it that you cannot violate, elsewise you're punished. You know, close your eyes. I mean, he definitely didn't let he or Marion become pillars of salt, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at the glory of God after being instructed not to do so. It's just a very, very fascinating concept. Absolutely, absolutely. I think somebody went to Sunday school. Thank you very, very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? Well, uh, I want to talk... Much like I've been doing lately, uh, I want to talk about one thing and then kind of segue uh, into another thing, if I may. I think we see two really problematic things here in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and both of them are related to the men raiding the Lost Ark, and that's, um, well, to kind of pick up the ball that Alex is running with, Belloc and Indy. Um, They're both terrible people. Yes. Yes. I want to start that now. I know I just heaped a big old bag of praise on top of this film uh, when we got started. Indiana Jones and Belloc, Belloc are terrible, awful, horrible men with no redeeming qualities whatsoever except, you know, one of them is ridiculously good-looking and also super cool and just seems like a pretty cool guy to hang out with. Trails of dead bodies. Trails of dead bodies. (laughs) Now, you may be saying to yourself, but Dalton, they're all Nazis. Well, not all of them. 
And, and Nazis what, are humans, too. Yes. <laughs> I do want to point out that only, like, four of those guys are um, SS officers. The rest of them are probably just regular German army recruits that got sent out to the middle of the damn desert to get shot at by freaking Indiana Jones. Um, you don't know what that big burly guy's life was like before that airplane propeller chopped him in half. I bet involved beer keg drinking and bear wrestling. That guy looks man, like he, he was, like was at a sideshow. Pro, a pro. He was a strong man. A pro at yeah. keg stands. <laughs> um, <laughs> my point is, though, uh, first of all, Watching Indy, I started to think a lot about colonialism. Uh, and really, this was represented here by all of these Europeans uh, and Westerners, specifically a Frenchman, a bunch of Germans, and an American, descending upon the desert to get a resource and a land they don't really understand. Now, Indy's a smart guy. I'm not going to take that away from him. That's one of his cool character traits. He does a lot of like book work in this movie, surprisingly, considering it's an adventure film. Um, but they go to a land that they don't fully understand to get something they don't fully understand. And in the process, all they do is kill each other and kill people who actually are from that land. Uh, and that's really what kind of led me to thinking what I actually started thinking about was this idea uh, of masculinity as a violent and destructive force. There's a really famous sociologist um, by the name of Michael Kaufman uh, who wrote a, a pretty influential uh, article uh, about the triad of, of men's violence. Basically, what Kaufman had to say is that, um, and this is, again, a, a phrase that's been used frequently. He's not the only person to use that, but he kind of invented this idea. What he's talking about is the violence that men perpetrate against women, each other, and themselves. Now, we get a little bit of all of those here, but the one that I really want to talk about is the violence that men perpetrate against each other. Because the way you know you're tough and the way that you know you're a real guy is that you play sports and that you learn to hurt other men. And that's why Indy's the coolest. Men are taught from a young age, hey, play sports. It'll make you tough. Because that's how you know you're a man, is you're tough and you can hurt other dudes. And that's part of Indy's allure. He keeps a licking and keeps on ticking. Not the man I knew ten years ago. Not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Indy cannot lose through sheer physical toughness of being able to just beat the holy crap out of every other guy that stands in his way. And that's part of what makes this problematic. And it's not that there aren't other action films uh, that have a lot of wanton violence. I think it is the weird mix between the night-night sleepy bullets this film has and actual graphic violence it has. Yes, I was actually wondering, wanting to talk some about graphic violence. And that's, I think that's something about this film. James Bond films, for instance, have a lot of sleepy bullets. And so it's funny when, um, excuse me, when James Bond says something snarky or laughs, when Arnold Schwarzenegger stabs a man in commando and says, Stick around. These are funny. It's funny because it's not violent at all or it's super violent. Indy's got this weird gray area, and I don't know what it is about that gray area in particular, but it makes the violence really off-putting, and that's what made me kind of think about Indiana Jones as this problematic uh, archetype of masculinity, is that he's saying, I'm a tough guy, I kill the shit of a lot of other guys, but don't worry, I'm super cool. 
<laughs> and he is! Hey. Hey, he's <laughs> the coolest. And I would like to kind of piggyback on that by saying that makes a lot of sense that my 10-year-old, 12-year-old self would have such attraction to this, you know, my first crush is Indiana Jones. You know, that makes sense whenever there's a lot of sleepy bullets and I don't realize, oh my gosh, whenever he's killing the, the bad Arab with the turban... He is actually, you know, in the knife scene. Yeah, the just, famous yeah. shoots him point blank, and he, de- and he, he goes, dies, <laughs> and then everybody around him cheers, like, in freaks and, out. And he laughs, too. He goes, and puts his gun away and walks off. And it's a great scene. It's one of the It's most- iconic. Yeah. Well, and more disturbing when he runs over the guy at the truck. The truck. Which, that's the one that really cements it for me, is the truck scene. Because Indy very brutally murders... And, like, painfully, he throws a guy off a cliff, and we follow this guy off the cliff. He runs over a guy, and we see his body ragged all under the tires. Before that, that's when uh, big old Hans gets chopped up by a uh, propeller blade. This is what I'm talking about. It is this weird, and yet there's so much sleeper bullets. And I don't know what that means. I really don't. But there's plenty of ultraviolent films where this doesn't really bother me. I... It bothered me in so much as that, well, that's just a general film problem, but I also like it and find it entertaining. And I find it entertaining in Raiders. I don't want to, you know, give you the wrong idea. Um, but I am saying that it is a problematic thing in this film. And it really is. Because it does prop up uh, these ideas that the way to be the coolest, most awesomest guy in the room is to hurt a lot of other people. Uh, and that's how you prove that you're a man is by punching other dudes in the face and being able to get punched in the face harder than anybody else. I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. Mull it over. Maybe you can come up with a better answer than me. But that was what I thought a, a lot about was Indiana Jones as this iconic movie man. And the reason he's iconic is because he's really sassy when he kills people. Very true. Very true. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. The analysis that I would like to bring is uh, I'm going to draw from a lot of different threads, but I I think I need to think about this film in terms of the arms race, in terms of trying to get the bomb, trying to beat the Germans to the great weapon. Uh, In this case, they've they've chosen the weapon to be the Ark of the Covenant, and they've also sort of uh, religiosified the uh, the weapon itself, which is what happens in warfare, which happens in sort of counter-imperial conflicts in which you invoke God in some way in order to put him or her or whatever on your side so that you prove your rightness. And in fact, your accomplishment of the task is the evidence that God was on your side in the first place. And so the Ark of the Covenant becomes sort of this instrument that does that. But it also does exactly what we do with the nuclear, uh, the nuclear weapons race, is that when we, when we reflect on it, there's this sort of negative aspect in that it's a terrible thing. It's, you know, Oppenheimer's words, I am become death, destroyer of worlds, when the, the, which is from the Upanishads, from the Hindu tradition. When he does that, when he says those things, he's like, this is a terrible, terrible thing, but we're the ones who should do it. We're the ones who should use it, and then never again. But it's okay for us because we're the good guys, and we're going to make it all work. Because, again, God's on our side, in the same way that the Germans are suggesting that God is on their side. Dustin, I just want to see if I'm... Were you getting at the Oppenheimer thought? Because I feel like the whole point of Oppenheimer's thing was... Oh, buddy, did I do a bad thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I don't think he was 
I we celebrate Oppenheimer. See, we do. I always took it for Oppenheimer to feel like he made a terrible mistake. Oh, absolutely, he did. Okay, I right, just making sure we're on the same page. Absolutely, he did. But we, but as a culture, we yes. still celebrate Oppenheimer and say, "See, it, it was, is a terrible, terrible." Well, thing. that gets treated as as a badass one liner sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, man, aren't you cool, Oppenheimer? Right. But we are the people who yeah. can have the terrible, terrible power, and we can be the responsible folks to to use it the one time or two times, I guess, technically. And then say never again, and then speak to the rest of the world about what's okay. Because clearly, because we have won the arms race, that we've achieved receiving the prize, which is the Ark of the Covenant, which is oftentimes used in terms of a prize. Therefore, God's on our side. And the way that we make this into sort of a religious conversation, or at least a theological conversation, is the use of taboo. In the way that you grab the Ark and take it from a place to place, that there is a hiding of the Ark down in the Well of Souls in Tanis, and that's because it's a dangerous thing. Salah's warning to Indy, also Brody's warning to Indy, this is not from this world, it's something you should be very, very afraid of. There is a moment when they put the the Ark itself on a truck, and anyone who has been to Sunday school can yep. remember the story of Uzzah, who, uh, w- while they carried the Ark on a cart, which they weren't supposed to do, I was always supposed to carry it on poles, stuck his hand out to touch the Ark, and of course was struck down dead. Yeah, and all those guys on that truck totally died. <laughs> right. And then, of course, everyone else who opens the Ark later totally die very, very badly, as Indy does his sort of uh, Odysseus and the Sirens thing, except for with his eyes and not his ears. Uh, as he doesn't look at the uh, whatever's inside the ark. But again, all this is sort of rules create the taboos, and taboo is what's really set up around anything that is the other, that is uh, the real, if you will, if you want to use Lacanian language, other, if you want to use more of a Freudian sort of terminology. But that's usually sort of the category that God fits into. And so there's the taboos. You cannot transgress the taboos. Elsewise, you will have sort of repercussions upon yourself. And we all are transgressors in some ways, and we have to find some way to meet the taboo in a way where it's no longer a, a wicked thing, but we sort of fetishize it and sacralize it in a way to make it a more... Uh, palatable thing. And this happens in the character of Marion, who is actually a double of the Ark throughout the film. He has violated the taboo of Ravenwood's daughter Mm. already, and now is trying to find some way back into her graces. And she merely becomes, towards the end of the film, a prize to be won. And carried around. (laughs) Carried around, just like the Ark of the Covenant. Dr. Jones, surely you don't think you can escape from this island? It depends on how reasonable we're all willing to be. All I want is the girl. If we refuse, then your Fuhrer has no prize. As India competes with Belloc for Marion, it's also sort of the American intelligence system represented by Indy, who is up against the Nazis trying to get the Ark of the Covenant, trying to sacralize that which has already been taboo violated. And so they're trying to achieve this and receive this, and by so doing, somehow again, proves that God's on their side. Now, Spielberg makes commentary in the way that the film's put together. We see the Nazi swastika burned off inside uh, Captain Katanga's ship as they're making their escape in a very, very disturbing scene of something bad happening to a rat. And uh, I just, I'm always disturbed by the poor rat with the sounds coming from the crate and the, and the, the swastika's burning up. Mm-hmm. It just, it looks very painful. I don't know if they did that rat to make that happen. And then at the end, when they receive the prize, we see a different sort of crate that's being carried off uh, by the American intelligence system to perhaps an Area 51 sort of warehouse. 
And what I would have liked to have seen would be the, the iconography of the United States possession burned off in the same way. That the empires do not get to own God and to somehow trumpet out God as some sort of guarantee of victory, which is exactly the sin of the children of Israel many times in the Old Testament, where they assume that just because they have this trinket, that it is a sign that God is on their side. And where we as a nation and other nations like us that have great power and great military might think that because we have that might, it makes us therefore right. What it ends up coming down to is a justification of power clothed only in religious language, which never seems to work. It's always a violation. And if we are ever to come to a point at which we say, this is what we've got, we do exactly what Indy does to Mary. And Marian is treated terribly, terribly, terribly. And then she's somehow domesticated by the end of the film. She is a wild, powerful, uh, interesting woman at the first part of the film. But by the end, she's just following Indy around and waiting for him to tell her what they said about in the meeting. And then she's going to just take him off to some cafe where they can have them a drink someplace. Yeah. And she's, she, I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, go get me a sandwich. I mean, that's, that's what it felt like. Right. I mean, in that scene in the marketplace, the first scene we really have of her in, um, you know, the whatever the town is in, in that quadrant of the world, um, she has the monkey. Remember mm-hmm. what? What do you know the town? You were Cairo. It's at me. probably Cairo. Okay, Cairo. Yeah. Okay, the streets of Cairo. She has the monkey, and she and he's like, "What is that monkey?" Grovel, grovel. And then she's like, "Oh, it's our baby." I mean, hello. She I starts talking these maternal kind of family, you know, yeah, right. social order sort of things. So I should have known to get out of there. Right, <laughs> and so that's womp, sort of womp. taming that. And what what happens in the same case is God is tamed in such a way that mm-hmm. God is fit into a box, literally that that uh, will just fit your needs. That you can trumpet out God whenever He seems to serve whatever purpose you happen to have. Which I seems which seems to me to be a very fair and a very very reasonable evaluation of contemporary culture at this point during the Cold War and the Reagan era. And so I think all those dots sort of connect to what's going on in the arms race. And so they're trying to achieve these weapons, might equaling right. We see Indiana Jones demonstrating superior firepower as a way to get where you want when he guns down the Turkish scimitar-wielding swordsman. And that the entire agenda is to achieve that sort of greater weaponry because it proves somehow God's on the side of those with the most guns. And from what I understand of theology, and I will not pontificate, it's not Sunday, so not time for a sermon, and even though we may have been to Sunday school, I will say this much. God seems to be always on the side of the ones getting thrashed. He always seems to be on the side of the weak ones. And so perhaps this entire thing is backwards. And that's all I want to suggest this time. The situation is totally unacceptable. Well, gentlemen, I guess that just about wraps it up. Where is the ark? I thought we'd settle that. The Ark is somewhere very safe. From whom? The Ark is a source of unspeakable power, and it has to be researched. And it will be, I assure you, Dr. Brody, Dr. Jones. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. So, let's move on now, as uh, thank you very much, dear uh, listener, for listening to us so far. Thank you so much, fellow co-hosts, for your spot-on analyses. We come now to a time when we must choose. You must choose. But choose wisely. And you better choose wisely this time, <laughs> because it's an indie thing. So we must choose whether this belongs on the shelf 
or in the trash? Is it truly good trash? And then what else or instead we should watch? I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Shelf. Instantly, shelf. It's a great movie. And you're going to put it up there with the other films, Crystal Skull included, because I am a completist. So hey, it's not half as bad as everyone says. So, it, I mean, there's some fun moments. There are some fun moments. Neither is Spider-Man 3 or X-Men The Last Stand. We don't speak of that movie. Oh. It's not as bad as everyone says. Isn't it been decanonized by now? Like, I thought, someone told me it is not canon. Not important. Anymore. Not important. I don't care about canon. It's just not as bad as everyone says. Uh, X-Men yeah. Origins is. My point is, there's a lot of that's fair. unfairly maligned sequels. Oh, I yes. agree with Arthur that while it is not nearly as good as 1 and 3, it's probably about as good as Temple of Doom. That's valid. Regardless, I say you watch this with Hitchcock's original version of The 39 Steps, as well as North by Northwest. And then I say you check out a couple of Connery's Bond films, and a good time will be had by all. Excellent. I like those picks very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, shelf or trash, else or instead? Oh, what's going on the shelf, silly boy? <laughs> Where else would I put it? Um, it's a fantastic film, and you should all watch it right now. Go! Well, Dustin's laughing, because I caught him off guard. Um, recommending other things. Uh, obviously, I'm going to not totally agree with Arthur, but I think you should definitely watch The Last Crusade, because... It's easily the only of the indie films that's anywhere close to as good as the original. And honestly, it's probably as good as the original. The Last Crusade is absolutely perfect. I love it. I, I might like it more than Raiders. I'd have to watch... I haven't seen The Last Crusade in a minute, though, so it's hard for me to say. I know I love it a lot, though, because uh, I love Sean Connery. I would say watch Lawrence of Arabia, which is basically Indiana Jones, but less thrilled about violence. And uh, just a really solid movie. Hard to watch, because it's... Watch it when you have like a whole day to kill. Don't try to watch it in one sitting because it's not comfortable. Um, and I would also recommend you check out uh, Spielberg's more serious Nazi movie, Schindler's List, uh, just because I feel like it kind of hints at wanting to talk about how awful Nazis are in this mm-hmm. just for that. I mean, he takes time out to have a shot of the swastika burning off that crate. Yeah. So I feel like he's, you know, taking a moment to be like, these guys suck. And man, Schindler's List is just a good film. Finally, uh, I want to shout out to a film that just came out recently, and that's Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> because the opening of that film is a hardcore Raiders of the Lost Ark montage, big time. I mean, from the title splash to the first uh, sticky situation we find our, our hero in. So, do yeah. that. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, shelf or trash, which will be a shocker, I'm sure, else <laughs> or instead. Well, as this was my host pick, obviously I'm going to throw it in the trash right away. No, I actually have it on my shelf. I, whenever I was 17, I had an Indiana Jones birthday party, and I'm not, and I'm not, you know, I am very proud of that. Very I much. I am also no regrets. No regrets. Um, let's see. So other movies that would complement this, uh, this era's era of Spielberg. So. Watch any Star Wars if you want to get the Han Solo thing going on. Um, if you want to watch more Harrison Ford. Um, any of the other Spielberg films of this era. Obviously, you also have the Young Indiana Jones television series. I haven't watched very much of that. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, and there are novels, there are video games. If you just can't get your fix of indie, I've... Lego Indiana Jones is a fun, fun time. It 
It's definitely not very violent at all. Um, everyone just explodes into bricks and it's fantastic. And then if you want more, um, you know, shenanigans, romancing the stone, obviously, because that's just like a direct parody of, you know. Man, that's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like fun, adventures, and more, more romance as per the title. So um, please enjoy those films, dear listener, and I'll hand it back to you. Thank you very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are you thinking, sir? You know, I hear there's a spot on a man's head that if you shoot it, he'll explode into bricks. Yes. <laughs> it's true. There's a good Lego joke there. That makes me very happy. I am also going to say Shelf. It's clearly a Shelf-worthy film. I, what I love about it is how um, absolutely glamorous it makes archaeology look like and how it created such a uh, wave of disappointment as people went into university settings and were history majors only to find out not only is there not anywhere, <laughs> it's not nearly as exciting. Sort of like what Dead Poets Society did to English majors, but we're not going to go there right now. <laughs> right, though? So we're going to be fair, right? And uh, But in, in the end, though, it's a great movie. Everyone should see it. It's just lots of fun. It belongs on the shelf. I think I like Last Crusade more, actually. I truly, honestly do. So I'll go ahead and recommend that one. I'm also going to recommend Casablanca for the same sort of French connection, German connections, and American resistance connections. And cool hats. And That's cool good. hats. And Humphrey Bogart. And speaking of Bogart, let's talk about Searching for Treasure and Gold, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. You should definitely take a look at that as well and do the Walter Houston dance whenever you can. And lastly, moving somewhere to the more modern era, I think you should take a look at Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Oh, and that is a great pairing. Kill I love you that. some Nazis. Oh um, my gosh. Gleeful, gleeful violence. The place that Temple of Doom is sort of trying to get to, Tarantino gets to. You probably heard we ain't in the prisoner taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. And cousin businesses are booming. And so those are my picks. Thank you so much, dear co-hosts. Let's give the dear listener, though, the opportunity to participate in this conversation. What think you, dear listener, of our analysis? What think you of our game that we're about to play here in just a few moments? How can you have the conversation continue? That's via that magical means we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about social media? Uh, yes, you can email us first and foremost, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You send us an email and we'll read it on air. Unless it's spam, then I won't be buying any of your crap. <laughs> also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. And this week, they told us not sing. So, where are you at, Facebook? Well, I have some feedback, uh, not on social media, but one of my dear friends named Robert Story he started listening to the podcast, and I sent him a bunch of our episodes, and he gave us some really nice feedback. Um, one was a comment about sound levels, but we're really... If you just gave us money, dear listener... Yeah, we know, guys. We would love to have a soundboard and a mic for every co-host. That would be fantastic, but that is in the future. He said that he liked our discussion of politico-economic chess game in, in the beach town of Jaws. He liked the Jaws cast in general, and he said that the segment in the end in which he discussed movie-based viewers was really, really cool. Thanks, Brett. So, that was from our friend Robert, and then he, of course, he made a plug for perhaps a future movie we could do on the podcast. He requested maybe we do M.A.S.H. That's something to think about. I thank you very much for that feedback. That's outstanding. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do we have any other feedback from means of social media that you know anything about? Bad tweets. Get it? 
Bad dates. Bad dates. Yo. I get it. I thank you. I thank you. I thought it was another Schwarzenegger's. No. No, that was a really, really bad Jonathan Reese Davies doing a really, really, really bad Arabic person. I'm the monarch of the sea. I'm alright. I love Gilbert and Sullivan. No, that's good stuff. Uh, not really. (laughs) I mean, yes, again. We got a lot more followers this week. We got all the retweets and all the favorites, blah, 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 blah. But none of you gave me anything that I can read. So if that happens next week, I'm going to subject you to Nick Sanford's tweets again. Oh, no. I promise. Don't make it happen. It's not a threat. It's a promise. Please give me something to read. Please, thank you. Save us, dear listener. Because we have... But... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You can, if you wanted to tweet at us... At good underscore trash would on Twitter would be the place to do that. So just keep that in mind. Well, dear listener, I'm looking at my watch and I realize it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> this week's game, because Indiana Jones has one of the most iconic costumes of all time. The leather jacket, the hat, the whip. There's just something about that particular look. And it's pretty hot. Yeah, I, I actually uh, cosplayed slash went as Indiana Jones for Halloween when I was 15 years old. I also made myself a... <laughs> I don't think it's cosplay if it's Halloween. Well, whatever. I went Halloween. But bless you. Cos- cross-dressing. And then I made myself a stubble beard. With uh, makeup, and I looked pretty legit, I have to say. Made my own whip and everything. That's outstanding. Thank you. So, obviously, this is an iconic look, and we're going to talk about some favorite cinematic, iconic outfits, costuming, looks, etc. I begin with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your picks? Well, I thought a couple came to mind. This is a film that comes up a lot on the show, and we've done an episode over it, and I said that'd be the last time it came up, but I'm going to mention it. And that is The Matrix, specifically Morpheus. Mm. And I say it because when me and Dustin, uh, we watch The Matrix together in preparation for that episode, about every five minutes we'd be like, man, Larry Fishburne looks good in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, his costuming, uh, there's a lot of cool costumes in that film, but mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne's is on point. He'd be flying. That green tie, that purple shirt, those shoes, that jacket. Yeah, he's... People, oh, trench coats are glasses. cool. Trench coats are cool. No. Larry Fishburne looks G as all get out in that movie. He looks better than anybody else in any of those films. Well, including and, Carrie Ann Moss. And it's so <laughs> relevant now that he's been in car commercials dressed as Morpheus. Yeah. I mean, and that movie was 1999. Oh, God. So old. Ago. I mean, compared Did? to now. And people still get it. People still get it. So, yeah, iconic choice, definitely. Um, uh, secondly... I want to point out what is probably one of the most iconic horror film costumes of all time to me, uh, and that is Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, because just that final image of him dancing about, man, um, with that chainsaw, and it's just a very specific costume. He's got a couple costume changes throughout the film, uh, but that, that final one, that gaudy tie, that suit, the mask of the makeup, man... Later picked up by mankind, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not incorrect. Um, so yeah, that's one to think about. Finally, this is a shared pick between Bruce Lee and Uma Thurman. That's right, it is the yellow jumpsuit 
from mm. Kill Bill slash Way of the Dragon. Enter the Dragon. It's not Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon's no shirt. It's Way of the Dragon, yeah. Anyway, the Bruce Lee yellow jumpsuit, I for some reason can't for life me remember which film it's from. It's not Enter, that's shirtless with claws and looking like a cool, awesome guy. Um, but also, Uma Thurman famously wears it in uh, Kill Bill, very much an homage. It's just such a cool suit. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, it's either fedora and... Don't wear a fedora. It's either leather jacket and bullwhip or yellow jumpsuit. Technically, Indiana Jones' hat is an Australian fedora. Everything's better than... <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for Rocky. those picks, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon. What are your choices? Okay, I would have to say I had a I had a brain blast while Dalton was speaking and people saw me cheering. <laughs> I would say that Johnny Depp's portrayal as Captain Jack Sparrow is in a iconic costume. That's it, a costume. That is a yeah. costume that if yeah, D- Dustin's doing the hair tying and the he's making his hair into dreads or something. Anyway. It is so iconic that I just was like, okay, who do kids go as Halloween? And who do kids still go as now? And anytime you dress up like a pirate, you pretty much dress up like Captain Jack Sparrow. That's just the thing. Yeah. And every, at least everyone has an impression of Captain Jack Sparrow that they can, you know, pull out. Anyway, I would say that my second choice is kind of more of a, a kind of a genre choice, obviously. Just superhero costumes. And that and that's, seems like kind of a cop-out pick. But I would say, I just started thinking, like, well, I mean, anyone who goes as Iron Man or Batman or Supergirl or Wonder Woman, I mean, these are all, you know, iconic, so iconic that you don't even need to ask who they are, and you don't even need to act and pretend to be that character to convey them. So those are just pretty pretty obvious choices, and that kind of harkens back to um, Indy's beginnings is kind of like an almost cinematic, cinematized novel, um, you know, that kind of co- comic book style, very stylized in that nature, especially for an adventure story. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohan and Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? Well, uh, to speak to Halloween co- costumes influenced by iconic movie characters, I think we'd go back to Bella Lugosi as Dracula. And influencing people for years and years and years to come. Um, And that just came while she was speaking. I'd also say Edward Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. That's why it came to mind. The mixture of darkness and Frankenstein's monster and 50s reflective innocence. I would give a shout out to Grace Kelly and Kim Novak from Rear Window and Vertigo, respectively. Uh, Specifically, Grace Kelly's Black and White. With floral design in rear window and Kim Novak's navy black with green. Oh, I believe when Scotty first sees her at the restaurant, mm-hmm. she's wearing. Was well, it a solid green dress there? Isn't it? No, it's navy. It's, it's like navy. yeah. It's oh, like you're, navy right, with you're green. right. You're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I'd say the Ghostbusters. Those mm, jumpsuits, the proton totally. bags, the ghost traps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's, that's awesome. Legit. So there we go. Excellent, excellent. I also want to give a shout out to some dresses. I want to shout out a dress Kira Knightley wears in Joe Wright's Atonement. That green dress yeah. oh, that she wears. Yes. Uh, the, how many prom dresses? How many prom dresses were designed in some way or based in some way off of that dress? I mean, super, super influential and iconic. And so I do want to mention that. Uh, another very, very iconic look involves a fedora and a green red sweater. And I'm talking about Freddy Krueger. Nice. Yep. I mean, it's just one of those things where if you just see it and you immediately know exactly mm-hmm. and precisely 
what it is that you are dealing with. And so I do love that look very, very, very much as well. And finally, uh, just to go ahead and round out some things with horror, uh, the use of a hockey mask in a little place called Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, you, you know exactly what's going on, whether or not there's any divots or blood stains on the hockey mask. You know what we're doing, and you know what's going on, and that's a very, very specific and very iconic look from the horror genre. So thank you, everyone, so much for your picks. Uh, there's so much great stuff out there in costuming, and it's something we don't talk about very often no. on, on the show, and, or in general, really. And so, dear listener, we would love to hear your favorite iconic looks uh, in cinema and uh, just what you think about all of that. But now, as we come to the end of our show, we get to do our favorite thing, the thing that we always do. We get to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dolster, are you fired up? No, not particularly. Um, really kind of a slow week for me. Uh, I picked up uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, speaking nice. of killing Nazis. Um and I'm not very far into it, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's pulpy and funny, but also kind of melodramatic and uh, just a really good old-school shooter, um, but also uh, enough variety of gameplay to keep you interested in really interesting art design and uh, and creative choices. Just a, a really fun video game that I, I highly recommend you check out if you've got the time and the money. Thank you much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohan, are you fired up? I, I'm gonna echo Dalton. It's kind of a slow week for me in pop culture. I feel that uh, way as well. Um, there really hasn't been, it's kind of the dead season for video games right now, you know. Hence me going back to a game that came out like four months ago. Right, yeah. I mean, my boyfriend just finished playing the, the first Dragon Age game. That's how bored <laughs> he is about his video game selection. Um, yeah, so just waiting around for the next Dota patch. Hopefully that'll fix some of the gameplay mechanics that we've been dealing with. And um, honestly, I'm just still, after doing our Total Recall episode, I've, I had already gotten halfway through Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, also entitled Total Recall. But I picked it up again, and ironically or not it was in the exact place where total recall was being made in the book that was exactly where i was and learned some really great tidbits about um and factoids about um his cameron's direction style especially in terms of interacting with arnold so that's a really good book if you would oh verhoeven Oh, yeah. Total Recall. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You're fine. Oh, I, can, you, I went to TF2. T2, T2 for, yeah. Yeah, because that was right too. before. Sorry, you said TF because you're a gamer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Anyway. I knew what you meant. Right. And I um, crossed the streams there to reference another movie. <laughs> <laughs> reference, reference, reference. Yeah, anyway. No but I would pick that up if you are any kind of Arnold fan. It is such a good book, and it's very readable and has a lot of life lessons, lots of poignant places. Um, to dog ear, etc. So I will pass it back to anyone else who wants a pop culture. Go. Thank you very much, Miss <laughs> Bohan. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Yeah, not really. Um, the only thing, uh, DC Comics and Warner Brothers, in an attempt to try and stay relevant against the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> has announced nine uh, release dates for future unnamed films. And they also, once again, okay. moved Nerds. the release date uh, for Batman versus Superman, proving once again that DC and Warner Brothers uh, is going to try and act first and ask questions later uh, because they don't know what they're doing or have a solid business plan. For that is sad. Yeah. This is the second to third time that they've moved the release date for 
Batman versus Superman. Any Wonder Woman movie coming out in the next millennia? Well, I believe Wonder Woman will be in Batman yeah. versus Superman. The Superman. Superman. picture. Colon. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, no, they, they cast... Gal Gadot. Well, yeah, thank you. From uh, Fast and Furious's. So, who knows? All right. Yikes. They also casted Aquaman, so... Here we go. Did they? Yeah, Jason Momoa. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am also on more of a slow simmer than I am um, just a, a real burn for being fired up in pop culture. One of the great things about the summertime is sometimes you get some time to catch say, up with some reading. So I've got to catch up on a handful of books. And one of the books that I'm working through right now that I want to give as a recommend is Subversion, colon, The Definitive, Definitive History of Underground Cinema. And this is not only about sort of avant-garde and vanguard art cinemas, written very much from a British perspective uh, by Duncan Rieke, but it's also talking about just underground cinema, like John Waters movies, like movies that are really basically narrative films, but they're not being made inside the studio system, and they're being done in very, very subversive ways. So everything from Kenneth Anger to Salvador Dali back up into Maya Darren. It's all of this stuff uh, inside this book, and it's giving this history in sort of a different and interesting sort of way, instead of that narrative of just how early cinema gave rise to narrative, and narrative was like the ultimate apotheosis and the necessary conclusion of that sort of cinema that Terry Ramsey and other film historians sort of suggest. It suggests something very, very different, and it's got me really, really excited to see a lot more independent and underground films. I've been watching a lot of Robert Downey Sr., films lately and uh, I gotta say the Downey can make him some movies and there's a handful available on the Criterion Collection on Hulu Plus and you should take a look at all of them also Jim Jarmusch because Jim Jarmusch just recently saw Coffee and Cigarettes and there is a vignette in there with Alfred Molina and Steve Coogan so funny oh my god it's so funny it is brilliant that whole movie is great I'm so glad you caught up with it it's, it's underseen for sure so that's what's got me fired up this week in popular culture, is just a little bit of what reading has drawn me to in my movie watching, and again, just being to think about some things that I don't have to think about because I have to write the chapter, or because I have to take the test, which is kind of a nice place to be as I'm waiting to start my grad studies at Oklahoma State. So, let's move on, though. So we're coming now close to the end of the show, and we need to announce what we're going to be looking at next week, dear listener, so that you have an opportunity to check that out and hear the conversation. We're doing the host pick month of the host pickage and Arthur's been picking away and what have you got? <laughs> picking. Well ladies and gentlemen next week we go into a child's imagination because next week quite simply put Everything is awesome Everything is cool when you're part of a team Everything is awesome When we live in our dreams That's right we're doing The Lego Movie and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's an exciting time here at the Good Trash Genrecast. I am very, very happy to be taking a look at a very recent film and also um, something that is rife with analysis. Oh, man. Lots of it. Whimsical so, analysis. There shall be things said, and it'll be a good time for all. However, we do need to talk a little bit for just a moment about something that's not such a good time. We, As the day we are recording this show, which is August the 11th, we just got news just before we began recording that Robin Williams has passed away, uh, possibly from suicide. It's very, very sad, and uh, we just want to take a few moments to just say some words about dear Robin Williams. Um, I'll go ahead and start, I guess. I haven't really been able to decide what I wanted to say, other than that I'm really bummed out. 
um, because I, 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 much like anybody who's been watching movies for the last 25 years, um, you know, he's had such an indelible mark on my life. Um, you know, and not just his films, his stand-up comedy, uh, just really as an icon, uh, but I, I couldn't really decide what I wanted to say, so I'm going to read what the president said, because that seems like a smart thing to do. Wow. Um, Robin was an airman, a doctor, a genie, a nanny, a president, a professor, a bangerang Peter Pan, and everything in between. But he was one of a kind. He arrived in our lives as an alien, but he ended up touching every element of the human spirit. He made us laugh, he made us cry. He gave his immeasurable talent freely and generously to those who needed it most, from our troops stationed abroad to the marginalized on our own streets. The Obama family offers our condolences to Robin's family, his friends, and everyone who found their voice and their verse. Thanks, Robin Williams. Thanks, that's great. I really, really So, yeah, that, that sounded smarter than uh, anything I, I could think to say, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Robin Williams is one of the, probably the funniest guys I've ever seen. I love his stand-up, the hyperkinetic style, and the genius. It, it's, I don't think people always saw it with the stage shows or the movies, but just... If you ever got the chance to see him off, just off the cuff, do stuff like there's when he's on inside the actor studio with James Lipton, he he just does minutes and minutes and minutes of improv, just looking at people in the audience, grabbing props and going. It, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's almost become a, a punchline now, just like how erratic he could be in those interviews. But man, it just is unbelievable, like ability his and skill. like just firing on all cylinders. Yeah. yeah, probably one of the one of the best, if not the best, comedians. They ever grace the stage in movies and dramatic actors. It's phenomenal. Whatever you gave him, he could do. Mm-hmm. Whether it's being a creepy, loner, tragic, bad guy in one hour photo to Genie, mm-hmm. a childhood icon for probably everyone around this table. Right. I was just thinking about one of the most inspirational figures any young adult could have, uh, Sean in Good Will Hunting. I mean, yeah. that line I gotta see about a girl just I think about it all the time like it's such every moment he has with Matt Damon in that film just like is really powerful yeah. mm-hmm. and just really beautiful a lot of just great acting yeah. I mean and it, I'm so glad that we were able to see that from him you know the, the further he got yeah. along in his career that the more uh, dramatic roles he took on because yeah. he was good at him man he yeah. was he's good and so I, I it's not real to me yet and I don't yeah. want it to be real yeah. I'm reeling from it yeah an icon. Yeah. One of the greatest. Um, right after I heard the news, because um, I heard the news from people recording here, I didn't you know, know about it online or anything. I went and checked Reddit just to see what kind of things people were saying, and I just searched Robin Williams, and it came up with a lot of really cool um, Today I Learns, which are just factoids about him. Um, I thought these were really... I think they're kind of better than what I could come up with because it just shows his, um, you know, just his overall grace and good-natured character. Um, Today I learned that Disney wanted Robin Williams for the voice of Genie in Aladdin so much that they animated and lip-synced the Genie doing actual stand-up from comedy from Williams before he ever... He before he ever was approached. <laughs> That's hilarious. Williams That's was awesome. so impressed that he immediately signed on for the film. That's awesome. Hmm. Here's another one, and uh, there it is. Uh, today I learned that while film, filming Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg would put Robin Williams on speakerphone to cheer up the cast and crew. 
Wow. And I think that, oh, here's another one. Today I learned after Christopher Reeve's injury, Robin Williams burst into the room in the ICU in full scrubs and claimed he was a proctologist and that he was going to perform a rectal exam. <laughs> Reeve said it was the first time he had laughed since the accident and he knew somehow everything was going to be okay. They were college roommates, which is just kind of delightful. Mm-hmm. That's, cool. That's cool. I um, happen to, Dustin, I know you, you've got some words you want to say, but I I think it's very poignant just based on what we do know at this point. But um, it's something Robin Williams once said that I stumbled across just in the process of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about him on the internet right now. But uh, it's a, something he once said, which was, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. And mm-hmm. I think um, even for those of us who only knew him through his work, I think if there's anything Robin did, it was make us feel, make everyone feel like they weren't alone. And I think yeah. that's something valuable. It's resounding throughout, echoing across the world right now. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'd want to say is I, want to, I would actually want to speak, I guess, some words for Robin Williams because I, I really did. Um, his career, you know, began, began in the late 70s. I was born in 1980, and uh, Robin Williams has been a constant figure in my life. He's been a constant uh, – I, I saw him in Popeye. I saw – I mean, I mean just, just, just from the very beginning all the way through. And what I want to say is that thank you, Robin, because you taught me that you can be a schlub of a dad – and you can get your priorities out of whack, but you can get your head back on straight, and you can win your kids again. Thanks for teaching us all that you can grow up without becoming dull, that life is always meaningful, that there's always joy, that there's always something going on, there's always an opportunity for a laugh, for a hug, just to, again, just to really to suck the marrow from life. As you say in Dead Poet Society, oh, Captain, my Captain, I thank you oh, so captain, much for how you showed me that I can be more human, that I can enjoy life to the fullest, that I can, I can be a better person because I choose to laugh with other people, that laugh truly is a healing thing. And uh, wherever you're on your way, brother, I just want to say, second star of the right, straight on to morning, keep going, brother. And... Uh, you know, we're all thinking about you, we're all thinking about your family, and we wish you the best. Dear listener, thank you so much for hearing um, what we had to say just now about Robin Williams. Uh, we would love to hear your eulogies as well, and just your well wishes for him and his family through a very, very uh, difficult time, I'm sure, for them. And again, the movies matter. That's really what this conversation is about, is that they do, that art in some way, it doesn't just imitate life. It helps us reflect on life. It helps us to think about how we can live our lives more, uh, more, 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 authentically in a more satisfying sort of way and one of the great things about Robin Williams is he helped teach us some of those lessons that we need to learn and that his filmography uh, testifies to that the films that we look at in this show are all films that ask questions that matter in our day to day life so dear listener watch a movie with somebody you care about have a cup of coffee and a slice of pie and a good conversation and until then we'll see you next time thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting uh-huh. Stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? Oh. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. 
You've never been out of Boston. If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. Ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything. Through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that. Because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you. Who you are. And I'm fascinated. Come in. Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. More calling Orson. Come in, Orson. More calling Orson. Come in, Orson.
professors, you have to explore it. But let's start with the premise that when you see this stunning, smoldering creature, she transcends your desire to chew, she electrifies you. Something starts in your pelvis and works its way towards your heart, where it becomes heart slash pelvis. Oh. Yes? I'm addicted to my children, sir. I love them with all my heart. And the idea of someone telling me I can't be with them, I can't see them every day, it's like someone saying I, I can't have air. I can't live without air and I, I can't live without them. Listen, I would do anything. I just wanted to be with them. You know, I need that, sir. We have a history. Just, they mean everything to me and they need me as much as I need them. What year is it? Uh, it was brand new. No. What year is it? Uh, 1995, remember? You got some ID? Oh, let me guess, you probably left it in the other Tarzan outfit, right? 26 years. Are you from around here? I was. But I'd been in Jumanji. Indonesia. He was in the Peace Corps. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it in another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Now, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks. Consider what you think. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. But the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. What's wrong with death, sir? What are we so mortally afraid of? Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and, God forbid, maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. Oh, man. This might be the one time I'm speechless. Oh, uh, thank you so much for this incredible honor. Thank you for putting me in a category with these... For extraordinary men, thank you, Ben and Matt. I still want to see some ID. <laughs> thank you, Gus Van Zandt, for being so subtle you're almost subliminal. <laughs> I want to thank the cast and crew, especially the people of South Boston. You're a can of corn. You're the best. I, uh, I want to thank the Mishpuka Weinstein, <laughs> Muzzletoff, uh, and uh, I want to thank Marsha for being the woman who lights my soul on fire every morning. God bless you. And most of all, I want to I wanna thank my father up there, the man who, uh, when I said I wanted to be an actor, he said, wonderful, just have a backup profession like welding. <laughs> thank you. God bless you.